0: DenTalk's podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from plus most of them are archived so if you can't make the exact time you can catch them later we still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are go to den And welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We were talking to Jordan Tarver today, um, and we were talking about his book. You're going to love this title, You Deserve This Shit. He is clearly a writer and an author. He's also a photographer, um, and he's a content editor at Forbes. And he has a really relatable story, which I love, which I feel like everybody can completely understand of kind of feeling lost, not knowing who you are. And through travel and many other things, he slowly started to find himself. So what's great about this book and this episode is he gives you really clear ways and exercises and things you can do that will spark that light in you to remind you who you truly are. And from there, it's so easy to then figure out what do I want to be doing? How should I be doing it? And you can come up with clear objecti- objectives on how to get it done. Um, I think you're gonna love this episode. I hope you do. Let me know. Go to our Dentalks podcast page on Facebook. And drop a line. Well, Jordan, I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to finally jump on here.
0: I know, and for everyone in the audience, we have Nicole's Jordan, which is very exciting because everyone knows who Nicole is because we talk about her constantly. And Jordan has written this amazing book, so I'm really glad to have you on here. And he's an incredible writer, and he is also you should check out his Instagram because his traveling is amazing and your photographs are incredible and always convey so much emotion and expression that I love it because I am so partial to it. Anyone who's been to the den knows I'm very partial on good travel photography. So yes, thank you for that. But he wrote this book, You Deserve This Shit, which I love the title. <laughs> and we're going to chat about it because I, I have so many questions because I want to talk about your kind of personal life leading up to the book a little bit. And then – you have this lovely style in this book that I think, you know, I told you that feels very much like kind of either an older brother or a best friend or someone who's like nicely trying to nudge you to get your shit together a little bit.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think, I think that actually came together more naturally than I had originally planned for because in your testimony of the book, you mentioned that it was as if your best friend or brother was there guiding you through, and then I had someone else read the book who is in a very different industry, just in a very different, you know, life path, who said the exact same thing.
0: Oh, really? I love that. Um,
1: which I wasn't expecting. I w- I didn't know what to expect in those testimonials at all. And so to receive two testimonials from two very different people that said the same thing, it just kind of like made me realize, like, oh, okay, this is how the book was written.
0: Isn't that interesting how a lot of times we are unaware of certain things we provide until someone mm-hmm. else points it out?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: I remember I was I was saying this on the podcast podcast recently about change because I'm pretty decent at change. And one of my friends had said it to me like, oh my God, you always do these insane changes and we're always left catching up to it, but you're good with it. So it makes us good with it. And honestly, until she said that, I didn't even realize, I was like- Oh, I guess that's exactly what happened. So it's funny that it took like two people reading it to be like, I guess I did write the book in that point of view. Who knew? So it wasn't intentional that you were doing it.
1: No, I think the same thing with how you are with change. I think the things that feel normal to us, like we're not, you can't really, that's just like, that's our action, you know, and that's how we do things. And so until someone points it out, then you can't really step back from it and realize what's going on.
0: So true. And sometimes it's interesting in helping people. Sometimes that can be hard because you don't realize that's not a norm and you don't realize that other people sometimes might need help in that area. Cause for you, it's such a norm that you're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't realize this is something I can actually, it's like a superpower. Yeah. Right. In some ways. So what, you know, talk about a lot of what you talk about is you had these amazing experiences that allowed you to feel like, you got your shit together and now you feel like you have this whole toolbox of kind of, you know, thing, helpful things people can do, whether it be exercises or ways to think or practices in everyday life that people can use. But talk a little bit about the part of your life when you didn't necessarily feel that way and then how we got to that transition.
1: Yeah, I think actually a large part of my life, Um, <laughs> I didn't feel that way. And so I, I grew up in a small town in Northern California and went to, a private school up until seventh grade, and so, and the private school only had forty students in the, uh, the whole school. The whole school—it was one oh. schoolhouse built in 1873. Um, Wait, so you really went to tiny. like a one
0: schoolhouse type of thing? Like, was it one room too? Like all ages yeah. in one? Yeah. How do they do that? That's always been—I've always been so curious because I know a few places recently. I've been hearing about it. So, what do they do? Like, if you're in seventh grade and then someone's in third grade, how do they? What do they do?
1: So, um, it was a Montessori school. Um, and then within the, the big schoolhouse, there was kind of two separate room areas. And so the first room was first through third grade. And the second room was fourth through sixth. and Montessori is very kind of like learn at your own pace, learn at your own speed. And so we never really had like full classroom lessons. You would break off into your groups of the people, um, or students that were learning kind of the same topics in the same level. And so that way you can learn exactly where you were in your educational journey.
0: And was someone like so, guiding you or were you kind of off on that? Was it like, hey, here's the material you're learning it, or is there one teacher Two? Like, how does that work?
1: Uh, There's usually two teachers. Um, at the very end of my time there, I, I had one teacher, but for the most part, yeah, usually two teachers in the room. And actually the older kids, fifth and sixth graders would have the opportunity to lead the lessons for the first and third graders. That's um, sweet, I love And that. so there was a lot of really cool lessons that I didn't know i was learning until now and like looking back on that time at that school and like what it's taught me
0: what would you say those are
1: just like very like life applicable things and i think being in that environment has gifted me with my creativity and learning very hands-on and a very independent environment as well um, which i think has benefited me like just a ton in many areas of my life but it was yeah it was really then that i kind of felt uh, i wasn't really sure who i was supposed to be very un like not confident at all um, and then starting in a in a private school that was 40 kids and then going to a public school in 7th grade with hundreds that's of kids awful. was a very large transition for me and that's like the moment that i really felt kind of unsure of myself because i was put in a very unfamiliar place and i didn't have all the friends in the world i didn't know the kids that were already at that school so i was v- very, felt just very displaced. And that was kind of like, or just felt, yeah, I didn't really feel like who I was supposed to be. Why was, why
0: did you do that transition? Was it, did your school just end? Was it financial? Was it moving? The school just ends.
1: Yeah. I mean, now they actually have opened a middle school, but at the time it ended at sixth grade. And so we would go to public school after that. And so that was just the natural transition I had to make.
0: That's a really, that's a hard one. Cause it is almost like going from homeschooling to going into a public school. And I've talked to a few people about that. It's like, even though you've gotten, like you said, so many incredible skills, there are social skills. There's just things that you have to wear for the first time. And mm-hmm. that's hard at that, especially at that age where you just, I don't care who you are or how confident you are. You wear insecurity, like it's nobody's business. I mean, that's just part yeah. of that age. It's part of growing. That's a tough time to do that.
1: Yeah, and and not only was I transitioning to schools, but it was also in a different city. And oh. so I I had I had known a few kids from sports growing up my whole life, but for the majority of the transition, like everyone had their groups of friends that had been going to school together since kindergarten, you know. And so not only was it okay pu- or private to public, but it was like Petaluma to Runner Park, which was. 20, there were 20 cities that were 20 minutes apart. And so that the communities were not very intertwined. And so it was literally an entire new experience, both on an educational level and also like the people level of like yeah. not actually knowing anyone. So yeah, that, that transition was big for me. And it was kind of, that was the time when I was realizing that, yeah, just wasn't really confident with who I was supposed to be didn't really have like my voice, um, didn't know who I wanted to hang out with, didn't know. Yeah, it just was a very odd time for me, I think. And I think the more as I get wiser, the more I'm able to reflect on that and like kind of understand why and that I was actually in a place of confusion, which was the motivation to, you know, change my life and kind of put the effort and to step into my power because I didn't want to feel like that anymore.
0: How long do you feel like that took you? So like, if you were there in seventh grade, do you feel like it was that whole year? Do you feel like it was the whole time you were there? Like, when do you feel like you finally started to settle a little bit?
1: Um Do you mean settle into who I was supposed to be or settle into the public school?
0: Into the public school, like into the transition.
1: I just, it always just felt odd to me. I always just felt <laughs> like the new kid on the block. Always. Up until like, up until I graduated high school, I literally just felt like kind of a step behind everyone in in their social cliques, which at that age, I think is a lot to deal with, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, to not feel a part of the group uh, kind of, yeah, it just is a very odd feeling. And so I think literally until I graduated high school was kind of, I just, I I just always felt like uh, a little different in the sense of, yeah, just not a part of of the main group of people. Not, not to say I didn't have friends and I wasn't, I didn't feel lonely, but it, it just was a very odd feeling. Just always feeling like a little bit behind everyone else.
0: That's so interesting. Now you have older sibling, right?
1: Yeah. I'm the youngest of four.
0: Right. So did they go through the same transitions or was it different?
1: Um, yes, we all went to the same school and did the same transitions. However, I don't think I can say that we experienced the same feelings just because we're all different people and we all have our unique intricacies of how we feel on an emotional level of things like that. So yeah, we went went through the same transition of private to public, but I can't say that they had the same emotional feeling of that transition.
0: When you guys chat about it, like what comes up? Did you guys experience it completely differently? Was it?
1: Um, Yeah, I think everyone had their own. experiences. I think the one thing we have in common is we all attribute everything that we know now. And the four of us are all very, very creative. And we all attribute a lot of the things we know now to our our private schooling, um, which is something we're all like, you know, infinitely grateful for that experience we had at such a young age.
0: Well, it's interesting, because you were talking about since you're left on your own so much to kind of where you're at and study, I know that you're, you're very much a self starter, like I know that about you. You're very much like, it's not like you have to get there. I'm not that you have to. You don't motivate yourself. I'm sure you do motivate yourself, but it's like compared to most people, I feel like you get an idea, you can kind of make it happen, or you can work on a project. It's interesting to see kind of where that may have started from.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I do definitely have the quality of executing things. I just think the beauty of creativity is like you get this idea in your head, and like to be able to make that a reality for someone else to touch. And, um, for instance my book like it was once just an idea in my head and now it's printed and, and you read it like I think that right there is just enough motivation to keep doing those things for me
0: I know it's not so awesome that used to be one of my favorite things about and well I love that too and it used to be one of my favorite things when I worked in entertainment too I used to love the idea that someone would come into a room with like maybe a nugget of an idea mm-hmm. and we'd be like yeah we like that and then you know Eight, nine months later, we could be standing on a set with like hundreds of people employed, an entire set made for it, entire wardrobe team, people cast as a character. And you're just like, it's alive. That's amazing. Like it was Mm -hmm. that. And now it's alive. And all these people are part of this whole community creating it. That's It was one of my favorite things. And same thing with the den. I remember when it first was getting used and people walking in that door, it was like, this is so cool to see what was like Mm -hmm. a nugget in here is like being executed. So I get that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So then talk about it. So you went to high school and then you went, talk, keep talking about your journey a little bit. So when you feel like you were like, okay, I feel uncomfortable in my skin. How can I remedy this? Or was it more, you naturally started remedying it. And then that's when you realize there's actually a way to do it.
1: Yeah. So I, Graduated high school, moved to Southern California, um, then went to school at Cal State Fullerton. Still kind of felt just in my old patterns of unsure of who I was and not entirely confident, but I think going to college and going away and separating myself from my past in a way allowed me to kind of hit like a, a reset button. It's I moved to Southern California where not a single person knew me, I went by myself, and so no one knew my past identity, which gave me an opportunity to create a new identity in a way. Um, and so I think that's when the shift really started in becoming who I always wanted to be or, or who I was always meant to be. But I don't think the the entire shift of stepping into my full power power really came into fruition until I graduated college, surprisingly. So it was a very long transition to get to where I am now, but I I still don't even think that transition's over. I think the transition of becoming the best version of yourself is actually a never ending journey. It's not really a destination. And so while I may feel more in my skin now than I was five years ago, I think in 10 years I'll feel more in my skin than I was now, if that makes sense.
0: For sure, absolutely. We're always always evolving and always changing. But what was it like when you lived away from home for that first time, that when you talk about like, oh, I feel like I could create another identity, but really you're stepping in more to yourself. What do you feel like you all of a sudden gave yourself permission to do that for some reason you didn't feel comfortable doing in your old environment? What part of you do you feel like you were stepping into?
1: I think I was just, I gave my permission to like let go of old patterns and old, it, 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 it wasn't even like they're all, it was all self imposed. Like no one did it to me, I did it to myself mentally. Um, and so just give you my pers- that permission to, yeah, let go of that old mindset and like, and use like those positive affirmations, like I can be this person or I am a part of the group or, you know, I, I have a community, those kind of things. I think let me kind of reset the way I was thinking about my own life, uh, and who I wanted to be. It's, do
0: you keep in touch with anyone from, from your like seventh through? Yeah, you, know,
1: you do. I have a group That's so of interesting. Uh, my guy friends, all my uh, baseball friends we, we're, were still in touch. So, um, and I, I even keep in contact with my best friend that I met in, when I was three years old, like from Montessori. And uh, so yeah, it is interesting to kind of go back to those times and talk to those people.
0: Where did they go? Where did your friend who was three from Montessori, did they have a similar transition too? Like, did they have to go to a really big school or was it different?
1: Uh, he had his own journey. He went, he went to a couple of different art schools. Um, he didn't do the, I mean, we all went, eventually went to public school, um, but I think we had much different paths when it came to college and our, our post-college careers. I think most other people that I met at the middle school originally had a very different transition because they went to public schools their entire life. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think, but yeah, it's, like I said earlier, it's hard to compare what I experienced to anyone else just because, their experience is always going to be different than mine and your experience is going to be different than mine. And that's just the way things are. So it's, it's difficult to compare where people are at and their journeys or how they experience something because we all feel it differently at, in a, in, on the inside.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so it's interesting because then you studied finance in college, right? Yes. So what made you choose, because you're just, you're obviously were creative and clearly now that's where you excel and where your passion is. So what was that about?
1: Um, My dad is a sales guy through and through businessman. Uh, I originally was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow my dad's footsteps. I want to be a marketer, yada, yada, yada. So that was kind of where the idea started. Uh, And then I started liking the financial route uh, because it felt like something that if I wanted to get a job in sales, I could always learn sales after school on my own. But if I wanted to be a financial advisor, I, I needed some applicable skills I need to learn in the classroom. And like also like a sexy paycheck. Like I that was like, I want money. Yeah. I want to make a lot of money. Um, and so that was kind of like their initial driver. But I didn't really connect with it. Uh, and that's why I don't do that for a living anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, so did you do it in the beginning? Did you ever work in finance?
1: I worked in the mortgage industry for oh, God. two years <laughs> after college um which i immediately hated i mean
0: i could only imagine like you really went for like the humdrum of it
1: (laughs) well like not to jump forward in my story but fast forward i was returning from my europe trip broke as shit, and i needed money when i got home because i was already using my credit card and i didn't have money to pay off my credit card right and so i just sent a resume to a friend who worked at this company to expedite the hiring process so they could start doing stuff while I was overseas. So when I got home, I could get a paycheck quicker. And so it was like, it was more of like, shit, like I need cash flow now. I need now. money.
0: Yeah. How
1: can I get cash flow as soon as I get home from this trip? And that was like the way in. And then I immediately hit, needed to figure out how to get out.
0: I mean, was it literally immediate? Like talk about your first week on that job.
1: W- what? What do you mean by immediate?
0: Like, was it literally immediate? You knew, oh my God, this is not for me.
1: Yeah. I hated it. It It's like, I'm, I'm creative through and through and like in all aspects of my life, I'm creative and to sit in a cubicle like that and process someone's loans. Like that doesn't light a fire under my ass. It lights one to get, get me out, (laughs) not working a job like that, but there was no excitement at all in that kind of role. And that was kind of the the moment where I realized like, okay, if you're going to be working for the rest of your life, like, you need to make money doing something you love or else it's not going to be sustainable. And that was kind of having that job, which I think is crucial to my career path now. If I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have never, you know, had the audacity to chase exactly what I want to chase. Uh, And so it really was like the trigger of like, okay, if you're going to make money, you got to make money doing what you love.
0: And is right. And it's not interesting when you look back and you just see all the like droppings that you were given that you're like, oh, thank God, thank God I got that job to like (laughs) remind me that because you might have, like you said, you might have found a sexier version of that job that you would have stayed in longer because Mm -hmm. it might not have been as mind numbing and there might have been other stuff that like titillated you a little bit more. So this was like such a good way to just be like not even doing it, not even going there. Yeah, yeah. So you were in college, you studied finance, you were definitely feeling better about yourself, but still not fully there. And so when you graduate, what made you want to, and I know, I know it's common, but still like, what was your choice of like, Hey, I want to travel for a little bit before I settle down and get a job. And like, what were your preconceived notions about the work world going to be that also made you want to do
1: this? Well, I think, I mean, being the youngest of three or four, my siblings also traveled right after, after college. And so it was, it wasn't, Out of the box to do that, it -hmm. was very normal in our family to do that, and it was very encouraged by my parents, which like I so nice exactly, and 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 so it there was a canvas for me to go do something like that. Um, I feel fortunate that my parents gave us that encouragement and didn't you know push us into a career path that we didn't want to go down. Um, and I knew that was going to be the quickest route to like learning about myself, as cliche as it sounds, going on a solo backpacking trip to Europe was going to offer me more life lessons than jumping into a career path um, that I'd be on for the rest of my life. And so doing something for three months in the grand scheme of things is a very, very small sliver of time to be away from the, you know, getting into a career. Uh, And so it just felt like, you know, the next best step I could possibly take for myself.
0: Now, you were supposed to go with a friend, right? And then they backed out last minute.
1: Yeah. So I was originally supposed to go with a friend. Um, He had gotten a job where he needed to be in New York to train over the summer. And so it was obvious that he wasn't going to be able to come. And at first, I was like, whoa, like going by myself somewhere is very out of character. And then if you ask my mom, she thought the same thing. (laughs) Is very. uh, That's not something I would do. Um, in that time of my life.
0: You weren't like going to the movies by yourself at that point.
1: <laughs> right. I always said uh, there were two
0: different types of people. Those who would go sit in the movie theater by themselves. And those who were like, uh-uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And so he couldn't go. And I was like kind of nervous at first. So I started looking for another friend to come and it wasn't really working out. And like looking back, it's just, it was meant to be. Like I, was, mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to go with someone. I was never supposed to go with someone. I wouldn't have had the same experience if I went with someone. And so that's kind of how it turned into the solo trip. And that's kind of when I started to understand that I wanted it to be something more than just a vacation. I wanted it to be like an intensive course on in my own life and a, a place where I could really learn about who I was supposed to be and why my soul is here.
0: And what do you feel like you discovered on that trip? Do you, and do you feel like what was one of your first insights? Do you remember?
1: I, I mean, like as cliche as it sounds and people say this all the time, like I literally fucking found myself. Like I, I went from not knowing who I was to understanding more of my life values and what I wanted, what kind of life I wanted to lead, who I wanted to surround myself with. Um, I came in contact with a passion of writing, which is what I now do for a living. And prior to going on the trip, like I actually hated writing. Hmm. And in high school, if you ask my mom, I was a terrible writer. And it was writing for me was like pulling teeth and now that's my job. And the reason why I'm in that line of work now is because I went on that trip and I wanted it to be something more impactful than just going to see museums and going to see sites. And and so I took a leather journal with me and, and I really documented everything that was going on, both what I was experiencing externally, but also like what kind of things were happening internally. And that just allowed me to kind of chip away of just about who I was and, and myself.
0: Do you remember how nervous you were when the plane was landing?
1: Yeah, I don't think it really hit me, to be honest. I think I was just so caught up in like the high of like going over there and uh, everything happened so quickly because I graduated and and within two weeks I was in London. Um, and so it, it was, there was so much it was just very rapid from graduating to moving out of my house to packing my bags and to flying to Europe and it didn't hit me until I stepped off the you know the plane I was like whoa I'm here by myself this is really <laughs> weird so yeah it was definitely a it was a very weird feeling
0: do you feel like how, on that trip and it might have been a combination do you feel like you did more of the hanging solo or try, kind of meeting people on the way and really trying to join different groups Cause I know, I mean, that's the one thing, especially in Europe, you can so easily if you want to like fall into groups and like do little bits with other people or I mean, it, everyone does it differently. So what do you feel like you were doing or maybe it was a combo?
1: It was definitely a combo. Um, what I always tell people about a solo trip is you're actually, you're never truly solo. I definitely fell into my groups at the hostels I was staying at and kind of like made some friends and then, you know, we, we everyone would part and go their separate ways. And then you have your moments of doing solo things, like going on a walk and hanging out in a park and things like that. So I think I definitely had a, a combo. Um, but again, I it, it's solo because you don't know anyone from your your hometown. But in the grand scheme of things, there's so many people around you, and if you're open to it, it can open so many doors to you meeting, you know, so many new different faces.
0: Yeah, I feel like not only do you get to know yourself in a much deeper way, like you were saying, it's know who you are when you travel by yourself you also get to know yourself in some of the most more simple ways that I feel like a lot of people take for granted. Like, you know, I mean, one of my favorite things of traveling by myself is always that moment of realizing like, I don't have to do anything. I don't want to do in that moment. So like Mm -hmm. I could have a whole day planned and I might halfway through be like, Oh, I don't actually want to do any of that stuff. Or what I realized sometimes I would get through stuff so quickly because I didn't have anyone I felt like I had to be like, ooh, let's ooh and ah this longer. Or how do you feel? It's like I would go and I would kind of give it the attention I wanted to give it. So if it was mm-hmm. not as much attention, I'd move through faster. If there was something that held my attention, I would stay there as long as I wanted to stay there. Right. Um, and I find that is such a freeing feeling that a lot of people don't realize and it really forces you to go inside and be like well do I want to do this or do I not want to do this who cares if you're supposed to do this when you're in this city or this town like Mm -hmm. what do you actually want to do how do you want to spend your time because there's no one there checking you in some ways but I find that to be very freeing and so I always tell people when they travel I'm like you by yourself it's great because sometimes it's not even about what you're going to see or what you're doing like my favorite times were always like sitting in a you know, cafe on the street, watching people reading my favorite book and like drinking a beer. And then like, just the mm-hmm. next thing I know, sometimes it'd be like four or five hours later, cause I'd be so lost in thought or like the waiter would come and talk to me for a while or whatever it was. It always, you know, and I'd be like, oh, that ended up being a good chunk of my day. And I love that. But sometimes if you're with people, you feel like, oh, you have to go, especially at that age. It's like, oh, but we're supposed yeah. to see this. We're supposed to see this. We're supposed to see this. Um, yeah. It's a really freeing, freeing, freeing feeling. But it's- Yeah, I
1: totally, it ha- just having the ability to not have to cater to someone else's needs and wants, I think allows you to experience more for yourself. And I feel like if you are going to embark on a solo trip of any kind of caliber, w- whether it's overseas or just locally, I think that is going to yield you, you know, a more grand experience.
0: Yeah. Because again, it's forcing you, like so many people I find, I mean, having now, especially spoken to so many people and you see people don't realize that the not knowing yourself even in the tiniest ways will create such a barrier to growth. So again, if you really truly don't know, are you impatient? Are you patient? Do you like these types of things? Do you not like these types of things that people take for granted knowing about yourself? And instead we tend to put judgments. We're like, well, what are we supposed to like? Does that make us cooler, smarter, um, more interesting if we like those things? You know, so you tend to feel like, you get trained to do those things. And that's what I think is so great about being by yourself is you'll feel tortured pretty quickly if you're forcing yourself to do something and no one else is around you enjoying it and you're not enjoying it either. Then you're like, what the (laughs) fuck am I doing here? Like, why am I still standing, staring at this piece of art if I'm not connecting with it at all? Just because it's really famous. Like, good. You saw it like leave. So it's, and sometimes you end up again, using art as an example, sitting in front of a painting that is in the corner that nobody cares about that for some reason was like screaming at you. And you have all the time in the world to sit there and enjoy it because you don't have to worry about someone else being bored. Mm -hmm. So it's, I feel like even in those tiny layers, it's a huge gift to actually start to understand like what turns you on, what turns you off, where your dislikes are, how you function, how great are you really in the morning or at night? And, you know, cause you, again, you have no one you're trying to keep up with or make sure their trip is okay. That you right. actually are figuring out, Hey, I need sleep. Or I want to be lazy or I have so much energy. I just want to run around all day.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Yeah. What was your favorite thing about traveling by yourself?
1: The freedom, like, just like we were talking about now, literally just you get to do exactly what you want to do. Like exactly what you want to do. I'm not like as of now and at the time I wasn't a, a very big museum guy, for example. I don't even think I went to a single museum in the three months I was there, which is crazy for a lot of people because Europe right. has so many museums but that's just that's not how I wanted to spend my time but I had the freedom to, to not do those things because I no one was with me and I wasn't worried about them having a good time on this long trip they're spending a lot of money on and so really it's just like the freedom to, do exactly what I wanted to do over there, but also like when I wanted to do those things.
0: It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Is that Penny?
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Hi, Penny. Timing in on the conversation.
0: (laughs) Penny, they're awesome cat. Yeah. I think that freedom is huge because in that freedom, you're forced to make choices. And again, that is where I think all the magic happens because you're forced to make choices for yourself, which I think as much as people think they do that, especially in their 20s, you probably don't know how to truly, truly do
1: that. Yeah. And I think you actually bring up a good point that having that freedom to choose in those moments when I was traveling, I think has instilled, let's call it a quality, um, instilled that quality in my life moving forward. And so it's made me, I guess, picky in a way um, to only do things that I'm interested in. And that's just how I live my life. It's like, I'm not going to waste my time doing something I don't want to do. And that's just plain and simple. That's how I live. And I think it's definitely strays back to that. Those moments when I was traveling in Europe was like, I got to, I was given an opportunity to live like that. And so now that's instilled in me to only do things that are going to bring, you know, me joy or things I'm interested in.
0: So talk about then a transition back with that new kind of quality. How does that then affect your life when you're back home with your friends, with people that you might have been living differently or interacting differently with before?
1: I mean, that's just, it's just how I live now. Like I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's caused any negative interactions or negative things in my relationships because I follow what I fall or what I follow what I'm interested in. We're all different and my friends do things that I you know, the interests of them don't interest me. And that's fine. But I think it's, it's more played it out. in like, in my career, for sure. For example, I wouldn't choose to make money doing something that I don't like. And so something my friend taught me uh, in college was don't get good at things you hate, which is, a, <laughs> which is a very good lesson, because you think yeah. about it, something could pay you a shit ton of money. And you're really, really good at it. But you fucking hate it. But people will still do it because it, it pays them well. But it's really just taking a toll on you because you're just doing something you hate. And so having that perspective shift to like, just don't get good at something you hate, because it's going to take you in the wrong direction, even if if it brings a monetary value.
0: I mean, it's so true. That's such a great, simple piece of advice, because it's, it is true. And then I feel like then that web gets harder to peel out of. Because like you said, when you're starting to make good money for a lot of people, then it's the lifestyle comes attached to it. And the fear then for a lot of people of how to attain that lifestyle without that job um, kind of ends up overwhelming and winning the battle. Mm -hmm. And so then it's hard to, it's hard to get out of it. So that's so funny. Don't get good things you hate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was in the, we're both photographers and he was like, I'll, like I'll never shoot weddings. (laughs) Weddings are great money for photographers, but if that's not the the path you want to go on, why would you even explore it? Like right. why would why would you try to get good at something if you're gonna hate it eventually?
0: Right. And some um, people love shooting weddings. So like leave it. Oh that. no,
1: right. There's there's yeah. no there's no wrong thing to do. It's yeah, just but making meaning, sure like, you choose a thing that feels right within you. Yeah.
0: And knowing like there are people who love those things. So those areas of life will be filled. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like there's a dearth and you have to. It's like there's I say that to everyone too. There's something for everyone. There's attraction and dislike that fills all the gaps for everyone. Yeah. So it's not like it's finding that right puzzle piece. It's so true. So what do you feel like I guess finance is one of them, something you learn that you might
1: hate? Yeah. Um yeah. finance is definitely dry for me. I mean, I I write about in my day job, I write about financial products. So I think that's where my degree has benefited me because I have the knowledge and I got the I got the degree to say I can do it, <laughs> um, to talk about those things. But yeah, I don't think I'm very, I'm not at, at all interested in in my original thought of being a financial advisor, let's say. Uh, that sounds terrible.
0: That doesn't sound so, terrible. I feel like that's most people that, I would say most people fall in that category of having gone down the road one way thinking that's what they want to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds terrible for me to work in that job. <laughs> Like oh oh I, were, got it, I got it. Got if it. I were to be a financial like that advisor. That idea makes I,
0: you like shiver. Makes me cringe. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Doesn't sound creative enough for me, I think.
0: <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you like so obviously you were journaling on this trip and so that started to spark this love. When do you remember like a moment as you were writing? Like talk to me about the transition of what journaling meant for you from like the beginning did it at all? ever feel like a little bit of a chore in the beginning and then there was a shift or for some reason it was just magical from the start for you
1: it, it, yeah it was definitely a chore I think um from the start but I tried to remind myself the reason I was writing that journal was I mean the real reason I wrote that journal was so that my kids could read it one day I feel like that's like why I wanted to document that stuff is oh you're a 15... sentimentalist I love it <laughs> <laughs> well it's like I was learning lessons and so if there's a way i could document those lessons and not just the experiences for someone else someone else to learn that was kind of like the motivation behind it all but of course it it was definitely difficult in the morning or in the in the beginning just because it was all new and i wasn't a writer but it was like slow it was a slow process of really falling in love with it and it became like something i could lean into and and i wrote about it in my first book which is a the direct journal from that trip was that i didn't have a friend to lean into. And so my the the pages in my journal was like, what I could lean into to like, talk to someone and to like, let it all out to say like, what I was going through what I was struggling with. So yeah, it, it was definitely difficult to start. But I think it became like, a lovely addiction.
0: Well, I mean, it's a big part of your book, like you're a big journaler, and you push it like you got to write, like whether it's journaling or doing exercises. So talk a little bit about that, why you feel like, the writing is such an amazing catalyst as you say, to awareness and everything. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Like you said, I'm a huge journal. I journal every single morning. Um,
0: no, without fail.
1: Without fail. I like, take breaks. Are you, lo- I
0: was gonna say, are I you take in bed in lo- or do you get out of bed and journal? Like how do you set your stage?
1: I don't journal on the weekends. We'll, we'll say that. Um, okay. Those are my days off. But Monday through Friday, it's the very first thing I do when I wake up and get out of bed, go downstairs, I actually don't usually use like a journal prompt or anything. I like stream of conscious, which is just literally brain dumping on a paper, anything that comes to mind. And I think it's actually a good form of release and it, it doesn't create a barrier of what you need to write about. And so some days I write about what my day was like yesterday or some days I write about what I want to manifest for my life. And so it's just like whatever comes through is like what I'm going to write down. But really journaling, like I believe it gives you it lets you become like the author of your life and really like dig into all areas of your life and just it allows things to kind of come to the surface, whether you're using a, a prompt or a stream of conscious kind of exercise.
0: And like about how long do you journal for? Five minutes. Okay.
1: It's like, that, I think that's- We can
0: do that, guys. We can all do that. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right? I think that's the thing is, I feel like journaling scares a lot of people, and it, but I think people- think it's too much of a task when really like I'm, I just simplify everything I do. Like the more and more I live, the more, more I look for ways I can simplify the things I do and journaling is one of those things at first I thought it had to be this whole, like, oh, you write two pages, you know, you're there for like 30 minutes, but no, I literally just wake up, go downstairs for five minutes. I usually write a half a page to a page, close it up and leave. But it's just like that little five minute exercise sets my day up um, lets me re- like release anything from yesterday that I'm holding on to uh, lets me let go of any like, you know, trapped emotions or uh, struggles in my mind, or lets me even like celebrate some of the wins I had for the week. Uh, so yeah, th- there's a lot of offers, not just me, but the people that do it.
0: How do you, do you reread it ever? Like how often do you reread? Do you reread at all?
1: No, I usually don't read it actually. Uh, I don't, know if that's really the reason I do it I think it's more for the release and to kind of you know put things in the un- universe whether that be like if I'm manifesting something or yeah just I don't I don't think I ever have the urge to reread it I, I mean I reread my Europe one because it was such a big moment in my life and so going back on those journal entries are, are much different than rereading my daily journal uh, because it's more of a story rather than just stream of conscious
0: Okay. Practical question. What do you do with all your journals when you're done with them?
1: Save them, put them in my safe and save them.
0: I mean, you must have so many at this point. Yeah.
1: So I usually, I buy a new journal at the top of every year. Um, And so every journal is um, a year's time. And so even if I've filled up halfway or three quarters, always start a new one. So if a day comes 10 years down the road and I do want to look at what was going on in my life, especially in 2020, um, <laughs> <laughs> which has been an amazing year to journal about, then I can go be, go back and be, okay, I want to read the 2020 journal. And so I have my 2020 journal saved. And I know everything in those pages are all, only things that happened in 2020. But yeah, I, I do save every single one. I, I use a new journal for every year.
0: That's amazing. And what Have you ever gone beyond one journal for a year? Like, is there ever times that you're like, shit, that half page ain't happening every day. You're writing three to five pages and-
1: Not yet. Um, but usually, about halfway through, my handwriting decreases in font size because I'm like, "Fuck, I'm running out of pages." Oh, and that's so just, really
0: funny. <laughs> I
1: start to write smaller. So you'll see, like in the in my journal this year, in the beginning, it, it was I I usually write in all caps, um, and so it's very like kind of large with like a lot of spacing around the lines. And then like slowly, the lines get tighter and tighter, and the, the font really... gets smaller.
0: Funny. I have horrible handwriting, so that's what's always funny. Whenever I and I'm I'm not a huge journaler, but when I do and I go back, sometimes I'm like, and also I well, find it,
1: I don't even know if like sometimes I, I can't even read my handwriting. Yeah. that's why I, that's why I originally write in all caps because it's easier to read and that's so to just write in all caps. So
0: I also find I have different handwritings, which I found interesting. <laughs> like if somebody was picking up, if someone found a, like a journal or no any notebook, honestly, even like a work notebook. They'd be like, we're five different people writing in this. It's like, I have my like nice print, like you you're talking about, like the caps. And then I have this big like puffy curls and I have this weird narrow script and then a combination of, I mean, it's like such different handwriting and my hand gets tired very quickly. So it, just, it starts to go like, um, you know, you have this, you talk about this idea in your book, which I, I love. And we kind of talk about this a little bit on the podcast, but you said it in a nice way. So I want to kind of dive into it. This idea of giving yourself permission to be a beginner which I think is huge. And I feel like I've had this conversation with people a bunch. I feel like my life really changed when in a slightly different way, it could be little things where I just didn't care anymore. Like if I were going to be good at it or not, I'm like, who cares? You've never done that. You're allowed to go in and be the shitty one. Like in that class, you're allowed to be like, who, what are you trying to prove? And that was like such a lovely shift for me. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. I think, well, first off, people are, I think, scared to be a beginner because of the, potential failure or not being good or the best that it can bring. But it was actually Nicole who, you know, taught that lesson to me because I was wanting, I've always wanted to produce, write, and sing on music. And I had talked about it for two years ongoing. Uh, And I think really I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to be at the bottom of the totem pole. There was other areas in my life where I'd already felt like a professional. And so to start at the beginning again and, and a new endeavor felt daunting. Uh, And Nicole literally just said, you you gotta give yourself the permission to be a beginner. And that was kind of like the switch for me to be okay with being the beginner. It it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you're the beginner, you're not going to be the beginner forever. It's temporary. And if it's if you're being the beginner in something you truly love and truly are passionate about, you're only going to be the beginner for a very small sliver of time in the grand scheme of your your journey in that endeavor.
0: So true, and also you have to start somewhere. It's like you can't.
1: Yeah, you can't start in the middle. You
0: can't start in the middle <laughs> exactly, but we all want to, and it feels like sometimes if you're starting something quote unquote later, that I think that's what it is for people. It's like oh, well, it's too late. It's too late. And it's just so interesting that it really is never too late. So, and like no, you said, if you're really meant to do it or called to do it, it will happen really fast.
1: Well, and you're also, if you're called to do it and if you're meant to do it, you'll more easily be okay with being the beginner because you, you love it. And okay, so you'll enjoy it. Exactly. You'll enjoy every part of the journey, no matter what level you're at, because it fulfills you.
0: I always say that too. I'm like, oh my God, I suck at this, but I'm having so much fun. It's like, so yeah. you don't care. You're like, who cares that you're really bad at that? It's like a blast. And sometimes, frankly, it can be more fun in that stage than when all of a sudden the stakes get higher or you know more. So I think there's actually a lot of play that can happen as being a beginner that we spend so much time fearing it that we actually don't realize there's no pressure when you're a beginner. So like there's right. a, there's actually a fun, if you if you allow yourself that, if you allow the space of like, it's okay to not be good. It's okay to not understand it. It's okay to be confused, whatever it is you're jumping into. Then there's less pressure. So there's, you can have a little more fun with it versus you start to put expectations on
1: yourself. There's definitely yeah fewer constraints. And I think it's easier to play with the rules of quote unquote rules of whatever that is you're, you're doing, because like you said, the further you get along your path and if it's something you're chasing professionally, yeah, the more serious it gets and the less of a, a a game it feels like of enjoyment. But I think it's also important if it's something you're called to, to try to like embody that playfulness no matter where you are in your journey, whether you're a beginner or if you know, you're know you at the top of the list of the best people doing that thing. It's like, how can you still embody that feeling of when you were a beginner of how fun it was? And- For
0: sure. that's a, It's so smart. If we could all remember that, I feel like we'd all enjoy it so much more. Speaking of that, was there a part of your book that was harder to write for you? You know, you write kind of with these three pillars of like awareness and comfort zones and intentionality. Was there an area or part or a chapter that at moments the joy kind of went out and you had to remind yourself? Was there, were there parts that were harder than others?
1: Um, I think it, it definitely had its like swings of, <laughs> of writing just because it's such a large project to do. But I think because I teach from a place of personal experience and that everything in this book is something I actually experienced in my life, something that actually happened to me and that I actually went through, it's fun to write about because there are real things that allow me to reflect on that. So while I wrote this book for you and everyone else, like also writing this book, it taught me more about my life and how things have played out and why things happened. So yeah, I think definitely there's swings of it being difficult because it's a long project but i generally enjoyed writing it because i got to share my experiences with people and that's kind of where i feel like i'm uh, my work is unique because it's i don't teach anything that i actually don't use mm-hmm. and i don't teach anything that i actually don't do and i think that's why this book was so fun for me to write
0: talk about because you were just saying which i think is interesting that through the writing you actually learned some stuff kind of looking back at yourself what was a takeaway <laughs> That you didn't necessarily have going into writing the book that you definitely have now
1: after writing the book i feel like the last section uh intentional living was i've always felt like i live very intentionally uh, but the first two sections awareness and comfort zones kind of felt like <clears throat> that those were the two areas where i really mastered on my trip was like becoming aware of myself and getting outside my comfort zone um and so reflecting on uh, the chapters I was writing on for Intentional Living, I think helped bring that more to the surface in my life and mm-hmm. let me hold that as a higher priority than I did prior to writing the book.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I love that. It's kind of like, it's your modern day. I do find that same thing. Like when I teach stuff, I end up integrating it even more. So even though you're teaching from a place that it comes from you, you then integrate it more because you're like, it's like not only you're teaching others, but you're reteaching yourself. Exactly which I love. Let's do your four years for you. So four quick questions for the, with four quick answers for the audience. Okay. What can you not live without right now?
1: My house. <laughs>
0: I know you guys just moved and It's so beautiful. That's so nice. What is, what do you do first thing when you wake up? A journal. Do you drink coffee or anything before or no? Do you journal no. literally before anything?
1: Yeah, I, li- I journal at five thirty in the morning.
0: Is there a book or an author or someone that has most influenced you?
1: Um, a book. I one book I recommend to every single person is *The Compound Effect*. It it, it literally was the very first self help book I ever read, and it just teaches you that small. Actions over time compound into greater things, and I think my life is literally um, is is a result of the compound effect. You know, everything I've ever done is just it's just compounding more and more and more and more. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely one book I, I, I tell everyone they should read.
0: What's one piece of advice for change that you would offer?
1: What do you mean for change?
0: Like for allowing people to accept change, go through change, strive for change.
1: Um, well, one thing that has been coming up a lot for me because Nicole and I are going through a lot of change are right now moving to Washington uh, from California, which is a, a very big move. If there's a transition in your life that's happening very fluidly and without resistance, it's meant to happen. If, if the pieces are falling into place, by themselves without you having to do anything, um, the change is supposed to happen. So be open to that transition happening. And so for example, if I step away and I and I look at what it means to move from California to Washington, it sounds kind of crazy. But if I think about how that change happened, it felt very effortless for us. And so I feel like we are meant to make that change.
0: I know I try and remind that to people too, cause it's it can be effortless as big or monumental or as huge as something may be, it can actually be effortless, but mm-hmm. it's like uh, sometimes that fear creeps in for people. And then they kind of get in the way of that effortless stream. And then it yeah. starts to get a little bit wonky. Definitely. So, so that's great. That's a really great piece of advice. Well, you guys, his book is great. And again, like we said in the top of, of the show, it's it has such a beautiful style. So it's fun to read and it's easy because you feel like you're with your best friend doing it. It's you deserve this shit. Jordan Tarver. Um, when's it coming out?
1: Hopefully spring. Um, but I set up a sign up form if anyone's interested in getting on the list just so they can be updated. If you go to slash waitlist, um, you can drop your email there and then you'll know exactly when it's all coming out.
0: Amazing. And hopefully we'll be able to do a giveaway. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, so we'll
0: do do a giveaway. Um, Amazing. Stay tuned for his personal practice. Jordan, thank you. This was fun.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we could do this.
0: So Jordan's going to do his personal practice for us, which is actually an exercise in journaling, which we could all use a little help
1: doing. All right. So as many of you know now, Journaling is a big, big part of my life up until this day, but more importantly, it was a big part of the beginning of my journey of self-discovery, discovering who I am. And so that's why my personal practice um, is a journal entry for you guys, and I like to call it the energy bubble. And so what you're going to do is you're going to get out a piece of paper or your journal, and you're going to draw a big circle right in the middle of your paper. And that circle is going to represent your energy bubble or your personal space. And so inside that bubble, you're going to write everything that fuels your life, that gives you happiness and brings you joy. All the good shit in your life. Put that right in the middle. And on the outside, you're going to write down everything that depletes you, everything that takes from you. Write that on the outside of the bubble. And once you have both your lists, take a step back, read them over. And what you're going to do is everything on the inside of the bubble, everything in your energy bubble. Those are the things that you want to continue doing or do more of. And now everything on the outside of the bubble, the shit that brings negativity, depletes your energy. You want to cut out of your life immediately. You want to do less of it and less of it until you're never doing it at all. And so what this exercise allows you to do, it allows you to do more of the things that fuel you and less of the things that take from you. And as we wrap up this podcast, I really wanna end this with one more message to you guys. And that's that I know what it's like to not know who you are. I've been there and I've dealt with those struggles and I get how shitty it can feel, But I also want you to know that I've seen that the light at the end of the tunnel, it's a real thing. And it's not just a real thing in my life, but it's a real thing in your life. And so I hope my story today can serve as some inspiration and hope in your life and that you can see that you have the same opportunities and same abilities and capabilities to discover yourself. And so I wanna thank you again for listening today. Remember my book comes out in 2021. You deserve this shit. Get on the waitlist, jordantarver.com slash waitlist.
0: Dentalk's podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edan, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalks Podcast, and join us there